On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. the people of God. We're in John chapter 20, 1931. That's what exactly it was verbatim out of the Bible with a little visual, visual illustration behind it. We're in the series entitled The Twelve, talking about the twelve disciples of Jesus. And we're picking up different disciples and focusing in on one aspect of their lives and how it can relate with us. Today we're talking about Thomas, the doubter. Isn't that just a great name to be known as, as the doubter? 
There were, you know, I don't know, probably up there with tax collector like Matthew, but, uh, or I guess Judas was worse too. He was the betrayer. I guess that is worse. But uh, how would you like to be known as Thomas the Doubter? Um, and have you ever used that phrase before? You called someone a doubting Thomas? We use that a lot, right? That story is so much part of who we are in our culture that we even use that term. So don't be a doubting Thomas. And it, one thing for us to rem- remember is that this, is that, um, well, first of all, a few weeks back I, when I was on vacation, I watched the movie Zero Dark Thirty. Have you ever watched that movie? It's about the hunt for Osama bin Laden and his capture and all of that aspects, the decade-long aspect that went into it, the story behind it. And when they raided the compound and after they killed bin Laden, they took pictures, the special forces guys took pictures of him for identification purposes. However, the government didn't release those photos, and so there's a lot of people who feel like there's a conspiracy going on. Have you heard those theories? That it never really happened because there's no pictures to prove it. People doubt that it actually occurred because they didn't see it for themselves and there's no pictures. And I was thinking about that as it relates to Thomas and in the same way he was with Jesus for three plus years and followed him, literally left everything and followed him and he saw him die on a cross, saw him brutally suffering on a cross, die, be put into a grave. So no wonder he was doubting when he was hearing about Jesus being resurrected. And let's just be fair here, first of all, that Thomas gets a bad rap, I think. That's my first point. Very profound. I think Thomas gets a bad rap because, you know, he's called the doubter and everything. But what do we really know about Thomas? Well, first of all, we know he's the twin. We saw that in the scripture. It said he was called the twin, so apparently he was a twin, and that was known to everybody. Uh, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know about him is that he had a lot of zeal. Because in a time, um, well, first of all, he, dro- he was one of those disciples that dropped everything and literally followed Jesus right away. He didn't say, you know, i got to go back and take care of family business first. I'm just going to follow right now. But also, the prime example of his zeal is found in John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany. Well, during that time, the town of Bethany, first of all, is right next to Jerusalem, right where the center of power is, right where all the religious rulers are that wanted to kill Jesus. So you put that into context. And when Jesus told the disciples that he wanted to go back to Bethany, they were like, uh, isn't that the place where they want to kill you, Jesus? And they were terrified. But Thomas's response we see in John eleven sixteen was, he said to the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That doesn't seem like much of a doubter to me. He seems like a man who is willing to lay down his life for his friend, which Jesus talks about later in John 15. He had faith. He may have his doubts at times, but he had faith. And I want us to know this morning that Thomas is no different than the rest of the disciples and us. You know, sometimes we read Bible characters and and we say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them or whatever. But for this is one of those instances where I read this story, you know, I would be the same way. 
If I heard Jesus was risen from the dead, but I hadn't seen him for myself, uh, I, and after I'd followed him all this way and invested so much of my life, I would struggle as well with doubt. Especially since back then, the idea of someone resurrected from the dead was seen as a far-off concept. Now, the Greeks and the Romans, they had their view of the afterlife. The Jews had their view as well that, yes, there's an afterlife, but at some day, at the end of time, God's going to judge all people, and those who believe will be raised. There'll be a resurrection. Everybody will be raised from the dead. So that was in their mind. So they're thinking far off, not, even, not now, uh, a resurrection of Jesus in the near future. And so we need to re- give him a little bit of slack because even Peter and John didn't believe until they saw the empty tomb. And Mary didn't even believe until Je- the resurrected Jesus called her by name. He is like the rest of the disciples and like us. So really, Thomas was not asking anything more than what the other disciples had already experienced. He wanted to see the resurrected Christ as well, but he needed to see him in order to believe. Okay, let's, let's change it up here just real quick then. So we've got to do the background about Thomas. Now let's switch here a little bit. Um, go ahead and put that photo up there. Now that's um, my family portrait from circa 19... 78, 79. I'm not sure of the time on that. Go ahead, laugh. I know you want to laugh. Okay. Um, that's obviously me up at the top left. And this is my mom, dad, and my older sister. And uh, I came, came across this, and I was like, hmm, wow. You like that? First of all, you like that hair? You like the hair? I remember that day, especially I was out playing with my friends. It was a Saturday afternoon. And my mom called me and said, hey, we're late. We're supposed to go take... Our family portrait at the church, you know, those pictorial directories churches used to make and stuff, those, that's what that is right there. And literally, I was outside sweating, playing ball, and, and so my hair, normally my hair was nice and perfectly feathered. Did you ever have one of those? That was back when I had hair. Anyway, um, and that's my family as well, and man, look at those glasses my sister and my mom were wearing. Woo! Ah, that just screams 70s. Awkward family photos. You ever seen that website? Yeah, that's probably a candidate right there. Anyway. So, yeah, me and my leisure suit and leisure shirt as well with the big collars. So that was a joyous time, but as I've mentioned before, I've mentioned this in previous sermon. Some of you might not know who are newer. Um, a couple years after this picture was taken, my mother passed away from cancer after battling it for a couple years. And so the happy family was literally torn apart in many ways. And I was left after that doubting God. The person who personally walked with me my whole life, literally, the person I was closest to, had been taken from me, and so I was doubting God. Not so much doubting belief in God, but doubting his methods. Have you ever been there? You know, you can't blame me if you think about it. I was a 14-year-old kid, and I was like, people were coming up to me and saying, well, this was God's plan. Well, you know what? God's plan kind of sucked. You know, that's the way I thought of it at the time. In fact, I still, when I get to heaven someday, I'm like, hey, Jesus, what about that? Anyway, that's another story for another time. But I was so much doubting at that time. But I look back now, as a rightfully so. I was hurting. I was afraid. 
So that's the type of doubt I'm going to talk about this morning, that type of doubt that is in a sense justifiable. There's, for all of us, go through it together. Um, so I want to say to you today this. Doubt is a normal experience of the Christian faith. We are all going to experience it. We all do, don't we? It's something we share together. Sometimes we treat doubt as unbelief. And I don't believe that's true all the time. The doubt I'm talking about is questioning. Like, I don't understand. Thomas didn't understand what was going on in the situation. And Jesus is calling him to believe. Once he sees Jesus, he believes. Now, in my situation, not only did I doubt, but the source of that was because I was really afraid. And I think many, many times, the source of our doubt is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen, and it turns into full-blown doubt of what God is doing. There's another passage in Luke 24, the famous instance of... uh, Two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Luke 24 reads, Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Sound familiar? But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it is really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. You see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. You know, they were, they were, I think so often that we let fear just totally entangle our lives and cloud our perspective on what God is doing. And so what's that mean for us? It means that we need to take a hold of that fear and surrender it to God before it comes into full-blown doubt. We need to take that fear, that fear of the unknown or whatever it might be, and surrender it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here's my fear. I'm yours. The writer once wrote that the first thing that is imperative to understand and accept is this. The more you resist fear and try to directly overcome it, the stronger it gets. The more attention you give it, the more it grows. Let me read that last part again. The more you resist fear and try to directly overcome it, the stronger it gets. The more attention you give to it, the more it grows. So you've got to deal with that fear. You just can't let that fear linger in your life and allow it to become doubt. Well, I, not only do I, when in this passage we looked at uh, earlier in John um, 20, we, don't we, see, we see doubt and we see fear in that room, but we also see forgiveness. Forgiveness is demonstrated immediately by Jesus when he says, peace be with you, shalom, peace be with you. That in itself, that simple phrase speaks volumes because here, think about it. All these disciples had forsaken him. It began in the garden when they were falling asleep while he was praying. And then from there, once he was arrested, they all scattered. 
And yet Jesus walks in the room and says, peace be with you. And let's take a look at, real quick at that garden. When Jesus was in the garden, what did he do? There was a moment there where he said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Take this cup from me if possible. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Here even Jesus in his own heart, he knows what's going to happen. Yet what is the key here? He turns and said, not my will, but yours, Lord. And there is the key. When we're afraid, when we're doubting, we turn and give it to him and say, not my will, but yours, Lord. Conclude with a passage from Psalms 94. The psalmist writes about this. It reads, who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. When I, I love that phrase where he says, I cried out, I am slipping, I am falling, dear God. Doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. So I simply say this to you today. In those times of doubt and of your fears, turn to God. He hears your cry. He understands. Trust me. He's known about your doubt way before you did. And he can take care of your needs. And he will bring you renewed hope and cheer. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've brought us to this time and this place where we can worship you and we can have fellowship with each other. And God, my prayer is that as we leave this place that we leave all the doubts behind. We know, God, that there are going to be trials in our lives. There are going to be things that we're going to question. The key for us is not to get swallowed up consumed by those fears and doubts but to just lay at your feet and surrender it to you so God that is my prayer today that even now as we prepare to take communion that you would examine our hearts and allow us to surrender that thing to you in Jesus name I pray Amen